Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. That report from Isaac was really revealing that there are people within the White House who feel like they're not getting their message out. How true? Definitely true. And I put myself in the top percentile of Americans sympathetic to the challenges they have. When I worked in the White House, <clears throat> it was hard to get our message out because the media environment was so chaotic and hyperbolic. And there was this emerging right-wing media machine that was starting to drown out our message. That problem is exponentially worse now. The White House isn't, even if you put aside all of the crises happening outside of their control that are dominating the news, the presidential bully pulpit is incredibly small. And this is the huge challenge to Democrats is that we are losing the messaging wars because the Republicans, as I write in the book, the Republicans have spent decades building up this massive apparatus that includes cable news, digital sites, YouTube personalities, you know, Facebook messaging that is pushing right wing disinformation and propaganda at the expense of normal political conversation in this country. Democrats have to work extra hard to be omnipresent in the political conversation because we don't have an apparatus who's going to do that for us like President Trump did. That's one thing that's interesting mm. to look at, which there is a segment of the country for which those hearings, I suppose you're saying, will not exist. They will not exist. And you can, it's the same thing on the economy, right? When uh, within the right-wing media ecosystem, when Donald Trump was president, the, the economy was great. Jobs numbers were the mm -hmm. single most important thing, right? It was this, the greatest economy in history, according to Fox. Once, you know, obviously the, complicated, the, the economy is very complicated right now, but the idea that we are having historic job growth, one of the greatest jobs in history, is not a piece of information that's being communicated to a large swath of the population because right-wing media outlets and the bill. Our new polling with Ipsos gives us new insights into the headwinds Democrats are facing. Yeah, George, what you're seeing is President Biden is a serious drag on Democratic candidates nationwide, and it's driven by his approval rating on a range of issues. He is badly underwater on all of the top issues, including the big ones, inflation, gas prices. He is less than 30% approval rating on the issues that we're told by voters are dominating their state of mind, even on issues like gun violence, abortion rights, issues that he is elevating into the conversation in recent weeks. He is still uh, significantly underwater. The only issue that we see him above water on, 56% approval rating on his handling of COVID-19, the problem for Democrats and Biden is that that happens to be the issue that voters are telling us is the least likely to be animating their vote this fall. And, and that's also spilling over into an enthusiasm gap that's developing. You see this in our poll with Ipsos, 13-point uh, edge for Republicans in terms of people that say that they are very enthusiastic, very eager to vote this fall. You're seeing independent voters largely sitting out the midterm so far. Now, that enthusiasm gap is a little narrower than it was last time we polled on it two months ago, but still, those are the kind of numbers that... Topping our politics lead, a little more than five months remain before American voters head to the polls for the critical midterm elections. It is looking less and less likely that Democrats will be able to keep control of the House of Representatives, where Democrats currently only hold 
a 12-seat majority. CNN senior data reporter Harry Enten joins us live. Harry, if you're a Republican running for re-election or trying to unseat a Democrat, things are looking pretty good, right? I would say they're looking very good from a historical context. So basically, I took the best Republican positions on the generic congressional ballot at this point in midterm cycles since 1938. That generic ballot basically is, uh, would you vote for the generic Republican or generic Democrat in your district? And guess what? Since 1938, the Republican two-point lead on the generic congressional ballot is the best position for Republicans at this point in any midterm cycle in over 80 years. It beats 2010 when Republicans were up a point. It beats 14, 2002, 1998, where Democrats led by a point. And in all of those four prior examples that make this list of the top five, look at that. Who won a majority? It was the Republicans who won a majority. Now, of course, the election is not being held tomorrow, and we'll see. Sometimes history isn't always prologue. But, but my estimate for the 2023 House makeup, if the election were held today, which again, it isn't, we still have five months, five months from tomorrow, would be Republicans 236 seats to 241 seats, Democrats 194 to 199. That's based off of a formula of seat to seat race ratings from both the Cook Political Report and Inside Elections. That is a stomping, or that would be a stomping. Yes, it I guess. would. We'll We'll see if it happens. A lot of the Democrats' problems, it seems, can be linked back to the president, right, who is severely underwater. Uh, yeah, you know, midterm penalty, it's about uh, where the president is. And essentially, okay, look at the president's approval rating at this point since World War II in midterms in which his party gains or loses less than five House seats, which is essentially what Democrats need to maintain control. In 1962, the president's approval rating, JFK's, was 71%. Bill Clinton in 1998, it was 63%. In the 2002 cycle, 72% for George W. Bush. Joe Biden's is just 41%. Why is his approval rating so low? Well, I think this slide will give you the answer. This is the net approval rating on the economy at this point in a presidency. Joe Biden's minus 26 points. That is the lowest, tied for lowest for any president in the last 40 plus years. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 8th of June, year of our Lord, 2022. Going to start in with just a taste of today's podcast. Of course, we're going to cover a little January 6th. We're going to go into how it's now the Republicans' fault that Biden sucks, a little gun control. And I'm going to make up the woke section because my last podcast was straight up garbage with no audio. When I recorded it, had audio. Little buttons were moving. Little dials are going. Everything was working. I even checked it. Then I mixed it, and there was no audio. So I got to make up my Pride Month section, plus a little more of the LGBT stuff for today. So of course today is a very important day in America. This is when uh, we are going to do a hearing on the liberal channels, which is ABC. Uh, CBS, NBC, PBS, CNN, and MSNBC for the January 6th. As the New York Times put it, it's an important time for the Democrats to reframe the midterms. So it's technically not about January 6th, but it is about January 6th because January 6th is really important. 
So we're going to go right in to preface it before we read some interesting articles on it. And I'm going to start with just one video of their voters attacking the fucking White House. That was not an insurrection. That was peaceful protesting that you couldn't get COVID from. I am Republican, the media jerk-off of the week. Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack is promising to show Americans never before seen evidence of the most violent assault on the Capitol in more than 200 years. It starts with a primetime hearing Thursday night about the effort by former President Trump's supporters to stop President Biden from succeeding him. The House Select January 6th Committee has conducted nearly 1,000 interviews and collected nearly 140,000 records, but this week they're searching for something else, an audience for their work. An assault unlike any in American history has led to an investigation unlike any other. Now the findings will be presented in prime time. A big hurdle, capturing America's attention right now. Video presentations and witness testimony are expected at these hearings, all of which will be conducted in June. Prime time, the January 6th committee set to hold the first public hearing into the Capitol this week. A series of evening broadcasts planned to grab the nation's attention. Who will testify and what evidence has yet to be revealed? We turn to a major story to watch in Washington this week, nearly 18 months after the January January 6th attack on the Capitol. The House Committee investigating that assault is getting ready to take its case to the public, kicking off a series of televised hearings in prime time. These hearings will be the culmination of a year of work by the committee, more than a thousand witness interviews, and the review of more than 125,000 documents. Now, the committee thinks they have a powerful story to tell about what caused January 6th. Liz Cheney tweeting just this, uh, just moments ago, that this is a moral test for the Republican Party, she writes. A test that she says too many in her party are failing. And she and Jamie Raskin and others are saying this hearing, you know, has to tell people why this is so important. Well, it's a poignant tweet from Liz Cheney, who has really weathered so much backlash within her party to take this stance. But she's saying that this is about democracy. This is about the American experiment and whether or not we want our democracy to fall apart or whether or not we want to look at what happened on January 6th and be cautioned by it and learn from it um, and really understand what happened. I think the, the biggest challenge for lawmakers here as they talk about these sort of huge ideas of American democracy and sort of the experiment that we're all living and benefiting from possibly being brought to his knees is whether or not they can make people care, Andrea. There are so many things that people are juggling between gas prices and inflation, baby formula, abortion, and, and the shootings that are happening. 
these lawmakers are going to try to now have a narrative to focus the country's attention to say, look at this thing, do not turn away and understand that while all those other things are really, really important, the foundation of our country, what makes our country function is the democracy that we have to protect. And they're going to have to do that in the face of Republicans who are lying still about the 2020 election and who are getting elected and installing people who have um, the really motivations that were that were what happened and, and why people broke. Let's talk now about Thursday night, because, again, we were just talking about the Proud Boys. This person who did a documentary on the Proud Boys will be a witness Thursday night, we're told, as will a Capitol Police officer. James Goldston, former president of ABC News, who I worked for, full disclosure, when he was EP of GMA and Nightline, a terrific television producer, has been brought in to help produce yeah. these hearings. What does that tell you? I, I think it shows you that they want to make this compelling. Uh, they know that a certain segment of the American public has a tin ear to this, sadly, uh, and, and shouldn't, but has seen that video of them storming the Capitol so many times now, it may not have the same impact. And so I think that they brought in essentially an expert, a showrunner, uh, to try to package it in a way that breaks through. And, and it is worth remembering that most congressional hearings are absolutely awful to watch on television. They are, you know, when, when they give each member of Congress five minutes to ask questions, when they bloviate for five minutes and then don't even ask any questions, I mean, no wonder those don't have much of an impact. There seems to be an acknowledgement here is that we have to make a television show. And that's why they hired a television professional. We'll see what he produces. But it seems to me at least that they are thinking in a in a more. This week, the January 6th committee moves to prime time, holding a key hearing on Thursday with previously unseen material and witness testimony. That's what's being promised. It is undoubtedly important. But will it register with a mass audience? Over the last 10 months of the committee's investigation, we've already learned so much, thanks to scoop after scoop from CNN and other outlets. Yet, pro-Trump media has denied, deflected, defended, or just outright ignored the headlines. I mean, think about it. The coup plot was rooted in a big lie. And ever since then, new lies have surrounded it. Lies heard on shows like Tucker Carlson's on Fox and Greg Kelly's on Newsmax. It's so important to understand the divide in the media when it comes to January 6th, two different extremes. I mean, look at MSNBC's coverage. January 6th mentioned more than 800 times so far on MSNBC this year and fewer than 150 times on Newsmax. And many of those mentions on Newsmax are dismissing the attack. This is critical to understand that it's so normal now on the right to deny, to deflect, or in the words of Carlson, to say the committee is wholly illegitimate. A wholly illegitimate committee. January 6th is a phony beltway issue. Just a uh, an echo chamber, a lefty echo chamber. January 6th, what a lot of crap. What a lot of crap. That is his message, and listen to the cheers. The Trump base does not want to hear about the coup attempt. The Trump base does not want to hear about the violence and about who inspired it and incited it. They don't want to hear the revelations at the hearing this week. And I'm not trying to claim that this doesn't matter, that the hearing doesn't matter. I'm saying it's important, and because it is important, it's being rejected by the MAGA media. I mean, will Fox even show the hearing on Thursday? I asked a spokesperson for Fox News. I have not heard back. But it's hard to imagine Tucker Carlson at 8 p.m. Eastern, who calls the committee illegitimate, Tucker Patriot Purge Carlson, giving up his time slot to hear the truth about January 6th. We'll see what Fox does. We will see what Newsmax does. But as Vanity Fair pointed out, the question for the media 
This week is whether the hearing. Now, I want you to remember this very week, a guy was perp walked because he wouldn't go to this committee and speak and pled the fifth. He was shackled and cavity searched. Two people who firebombed a police car this week, they, they were let off and the DOJ thought it was just fine. ABC News. The ex-president is helping put together this blockbuster investigative schedule. Axios Mike Allen reported Monday the former ABC News president James Goldston, known for overseeing Good Morning America and Nightline, has been working with January 6th committee as an unannounced advisor. Allen reports that Goldston is helping the committee prepare a large-scale multimedia presentation, including video. We're going to do little shorts. Are we going to actually, you know, are we going to see all the video that we're missing? Like the stuff that shows that people were like asked to come in. Cops open doors. They were just parading. Parading's a thing, I guess. We're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see that. I just don't think we're going to see any of that video. They have kept that video under wraps for almost two years. And we made it known on the show, and I hate talking like I'm a talk show host. With We on the show, what they did was wrong, but there's actual proof that there was Antifa there. NBC paid them. That never got out, you know, because NBC paid them. There was no plan. There was no insurrection. They're bringing the Proud Boys back. They're just trying to link January 6th to the midterms because they believe Americans are so stupid they're not noticing the gas and the baby formula and the invasion at the southern border and Ukraine policy is horrible and everything costs 10 times more than it was. I mean, gas has doubled since Biden took office, doubled. Because the first thing he did was go after big energy. That was his first executive order. Raskin wants the January 6th committee to recommend abolishing electoral college. Now remember, Raskin tried to stop George W. Bush from being elected. Tried to stop Trump getting elected. But that wasn't an insurrection. That was the most highest form of patriotism, dissent, because that's what we called it in the media. Raskin says the January 6th committee has found more evidence on Donald Trump than just incitement that they're going to try to pull out here, but nobody's going to be watching. Capital riot apologists go unpunished as memory of horror fades. Congress plans television hearing on Capitol attack, but voters have forgotten they've been rewarding election deniers and all of them have won their primaries. Election deniers. That is such a funny phrase since you denied Trump. You still say Russia was real and it's been proven it wasn't. 
I mean, we're not idiots. Google can suppress, Facebook and Twitter could suspend and ban and silence and shadow ban. People aren't stupid. You think we are. That's why you're doing this. I mean, you you truly believe this is going to turn the tide. And everybody's going, oh God, we got to arrest those damn proud boys. All of us remember George Floyd protests. You bailed people out. You financed it. The media egged it on. None of those people did hard time. January 6th people are still in prison. Almost two years later for walking around in the Capitol. I mean, the people actually did violent stuff have already been charged. The true goal of the January 6th committee is to slander and shame conservatives out of the public sphere. That's from the Federalist, and that is 100% true. That is their purpose. That's their purpose. And if this was, if it was such an important thing, why is it so partisan? Why are you going only after Republicans? Why haven't you gone after the Antifa people? Why is there still a committee two years later? Literal title, January 6th hearing gives Democrat a chance to recast midterm message. I don't think they're supposed to say it out loud, but they did. And the only hope we have is the fact that nobody watches MSNBC. They, they, they had the smallest monthly viewer since 1999. CNN is now evaluating partisan talent. And they're basically going to say, if you can't be objective, you're gone. So, Potato Boy's gone. Politico. As politics as the leisure of the theory class. And this is what is wrong with our country right now. The elites, this is their hobby. Their hobby, they don't live real lives. Um, actually have in here, uh, well, here it is. Uh, where the hell is it? Here it is. Senior Biden advisor, I don't feel the pain personally of high gas prices. Because they don't. They're elites. They don't pay for their gas. They're, they're escorted around in limos. They use Uber. They don't even own the car. They live in Washington. So they don't feel the same things we do. They don't realize it's more important for us that you could tell me there's a million jobs, but they're not good jobs. They don't pay any money. So now you have inflation that's so high that you need more money than you could take before and with gas so high hell, I myself could have picked up three jobs already but those three jobs were in Nashville I can't drive to Nashville I'll be driving for my job I'll just tell them to send my check to Kroger because that's where I pump my gas and even with 40 cents off it's still almost four dollars this is what they do They believe this stuff is real, 
And, and, you know, I heard it the other day on a show. It's the first time somebody said it, and I was really happy they said it because I say it all the time. If you really believe your enemy and your opposing party is Adolf Hitler, why wouldn't you rig an election? As Time Magazine said they did. Why wouldn't you? I mean, you, you clearly believe, you know, it, it is what they say all the time. The media say they're not biased, even though they really are, but they believe they're saving democracy from you evil rubes that voted for Trump. One of them, Liz Cheney, denounces January 6th conspiracy conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. Extremely well-organized, very chilling, but yet nobody's gone to jail because they don't have anything. There's no proof Anybody did anything. The big thing that they had was missing phone records, and he was using a landline. That was all we had. This was really funny this week. Meet the press host Chuck Todd claims that President Biden doesn't have a loyal fan base. Let's prove him wrong. Retweet if you're a loyal fan of President Biden. Liberals said this. Chuck Todd is correct. The economy didn't kill itself. Are you kidding? This is a joke, right? Loyal fan base. He's a politician, not an actor or performer. He's in office at the voter pleasure. What they can't get across their head, because, you know, both parties do this. Let's let's be honest. Um, Bush did it. As I spit all over the place, sorry. Bush did it. They believe they have the polarity because they own all three chambers of power. But most of us are just voting for the lesser of two evils. People didn't vote for Joe Biden. They voted against Donald Trump. They didn't like him. They were sick of the media. Yes, I do not believe 81 million people voted for him. Not even close. That's just fucking false. 100% false. You know it's false. Nobody can believe that's real. It's totally false. Barack Obama didn't get 81 million. I've already talked on the show. I saw buses coming in with black people. Just black. Those same black people. 2012, 2008, never vote. My vote for the brother. He didn't get 81. This all lines in with the way we see the world, the way we see it, us normal rubes. You can be black, you can be gay, you can be straight, you can be fucking Latinx or whatever the fuck they're calling it now. This is a Mediate article. They think this is bad. A full 58% of Republicans say white people in this country are being replaced by non-white people. Now, I doubt they actually got 58% Republican. They probably got people like me who just, if you do not say you're Republican or Democrat, you're considered a Republican. YouGov does it all the time where they're trying to push me to pick the Republicans. You said you were going to do this. Michelle Goldberg, New York Times, 2016, we're in the zeal of Trump got the election because Russia gave it to him and we ruined three years of a presidency and it went into four years. We impeached him twice. You said you could replace us. 
Us wasn't just white people. Us just wasn't the South. It wasn't Republicans. It was motherfucking everyone. And then you overturned everything we were doing at the southern border, and there's record numbers coming across every goddamn month of what we know is coming across. Not what we don't know, just what we know. And then you night flight them into red districts. What the fuck? Not one major media has covered any of it because they're the ones that wrote the goddamn op-ed. There's been a lot of this. I speak for all when I say we'd all rather pay the Putin price hike than have the former guy in office. Somebody said everyone's savings at 401 would be higher. You made good decisions and didn't vote for Biden. Ugh, I should have known who this muted account was. I've always amazed at the arrogance of someone who says they speak for everyone. America has 180 billion fucking TV channels. There are 4,000 streaming networks, so much that when I lost my job, I had to go find all the accounts and go, when do we sign up for this? We can't agree what's on TV. No, you don't speak for everyone. You speak for yourself. That's all you can speak for in America. The partisan political class, Biden could ban gas and they'd be driving a car and they would say it's okay because they love him. But the majority of us aren't sycophants for anybody. And when the guy makes a bad decision day one, we're going to hold it against him. When a guy doesn't try to fix the supply chain and look for root causes as we work together every day, working and striving in the new rules to work together, as the vice president said, of working togetherness and work. And he just keeps getting worse. Ford is talking about not having car dealers because they don't even believe it's going to ever get fixed. And it's not just the pandemic. It's what we did post-pandemic in this country, denying people coming in, playing COVID way too long because we needed COVID to get Trump out of office. Without COVID, you couldn't change any voting laws and force mail-in ballots. Couldn't do that. You needed COVID. Why the fuck do you think they're talking about monkeypox? That's like AIDS. Original AIDS. It's just a gay thing right now. But you wouldn't tell when you saw it on TV. They won't even say they were homosexuals. It is just like the Delta variant. It was bear week and a bunch of gay dudes had an orgy. 200 of them contracted it. Next thing you know, we had the Delta variant all over the fucking country. Because they left their bear week. I don't even want to know what that is. Here's the reality. This is from AAA. I think they're pretty liberal. The nationwide average for gallon of regular unleaded fuel reached a new record of $4.87 on Monday, a 101% increase from the $2.42. $2.42. Diesel is $5.65. And once again, I don't have to have a PhD in economics. I don't have to have gone to college to know if a diesel truck is paying more 
to haul my fucking Scooby Snacks to the local Dollar General. Dollar General ain't going to be a dollar anymore. My last organization, we raised everything $5. Some of it $2 or $3, but most of it 5 fucking bucks. We didn't even stealth do it. We did it in front of everybody. They saw it as it was happening. More than 8 in 10 Americans, 83%, now say that the economy is either an extremely or very important issue in determining how they will vote, according to a new ABC poll. In the poll, 80% of Americans say that inflation is also an extremely or very important factor in how they will vote, and gas prices is 74%. Now, right now, for me, it's pretty easy. Um, I'm still very sick. My stomach is getting worse. I'm still waiting to fucking get doctor's appointments. Friday, I get an emptying test. July 18th, I get the pressure slash acid pH test. I found eating nothing is better than eating. I feel better. I just don't eat. So I don't go anywhere. Well, I walk. Just got done with my 30-minute walk listening to Door Bumper Clear. Good podcast. So we don't have gas problems. You know, the wife will go do her doctor's appointment today. I'll drive to Nashville Friday. We don't go anywhere. So gas isn't hurting us as when I was working and I went through a tank of gas a week. So 230 bucks a month. But the majority of people, especially those that are minimum wage, folks, that's that's tough nut to haul. What's the media doing? Why do Democrats suck at messaging? It's now messaging. Dan Pfeiffer wrote that. It's what you heard in the intro. San Francisco, New York Magazine. San Francisco is a disaster area because Republicans have kept it from reaching its true progressive potential. Republicans. Biden, seething that he's more unpopular than Trump, blames his own staff for not letting Biden be Biden. We've heard this. It's now back again. But what is he doing? POTUS will use executive action Monday to kickstart solar projects in the U.S. that are stalled by Commerce Department tariff probe. And he'll invoke the Defense Production Act to spur domestic production of solar panels and other clean energy projects, sources tell me. So instead of working on the gas, which we need, he's thinking midterm and he can get the greenies on board and maybe they'll vote for him. Or for his peeps. Folks, who is that going to help? Oh, I know, 10% to the big guy. China. China. That's what we'll be installing first because we don't make solar panels. When I was a, a county or fucking tourist board fuckhead, still don't know why I did it forever, but I did it. 
because I thought for business it would be good. One of those people came in here. They put, they plunked like a billion dollars in the area, built a fucking plant, built shit to Austin P, and went bankrupt. It was one of those Obama green energy things. It's now a Hyundai plant. We don't make those. So once again, instead of helping Americans, he's helping China. And what will that do? Solar panels and wind will not run your car. It, it just won't run your car. It won't fix anything. It's not going to get the diesel truck full. But instead of bringing that kind of shit up, Business Insider Meme Hunter tracks down, I did that sticker creator. We had one, but in the original, they busted his name, said who he is, he's a piece of shit, how dare you dog our guy. Well, your guy is the second time in his presidency, Miss D-Day. Under pressure, they talked about it yesterday. That's not June 6th. That's the seventh. And it's it's on. It's it's all they're gonna do from here till then. It's gonna be January 6th. Republicans, Proud Boys, Boogaloo, QAnon, that is who is voting. And if you let them vote, we're all gonna lose democracy. And it's Republicans' fault. So here's a Republicans' fault. And then we get into the other thing. You know, once again, you can't fight back. You ain't got a gun. You know, um, I've talked to a lot of former Republican friends of, of, of mine. And, you know, we're, we sound like Democrats now when we're around a table talking. What do we do about it? You know, we always used to joke about how Democrats would go, we don't deserve good things. You know, we okay, well, like. you just take it. Yes, it is. Yes, no, it is. There, there aren't enough. To, I, no, but there is a mindset. If you're a Republican and somebody spreads lies about you, you go after them. You, you annihilate. You Politically, you annihilate them. You don't sit around and go, Oh, my God, it's just not right. So you worked for a political operation. You worked for a White House that knew how to do it right. What do you tell the people that are running both sides of Pennsylvania Avenue who, when I'm alone with them, are going, well, they just lie. What can we do? Well, I think... The, the problem around this is getting worse every single day. The, the media, the right-wing media advantage, this, op, this disinformation propaganda operation is so much more powerful now than when I worked in the White so it's House. It's getting bigger. It's getting it's, bigger. It's flourishing. Yes. And... Metastasizing. Metastasizing. Cancer, that is a perfect metaphor for what we are dealing with. And it is, I think, what we have to do is radically rethink how we communicate. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a role to play here. Democrats have to be more aggressive. We have to invest in building up our own megaphone to compete with the Republicans. We need to, and we know, that doesn't mean we build our own Fox News. It doesn't mean we run away from the mainstream media, but we have to invest in progressive outlets. The media, I think, a lot of people in the media have to rethink how they deal with people who lie for a living. 
Mm -hmm. And then the social media companies have an, have an obligation to do more. We can't rely on them to do it on their own. And so this is where Congress and the regulators have to step in to think about how we regulate these algorithms that are pushing this disinformation for profit. Totally. So, so Dan, talk about moral courage, Meg Abraham, Chris Jacobs, Republican congressman from New York, comes out for an assault weapons ban after the Buffalo shooting. He has to drop out of his race. It's a really remarkable moment in the Republican Party. It's essentially a purging of anybody who goes against a certain orthodoxy. And that is a district where there is a gun culture. Um, it is not entirely surprising, but that it has become this litmus test issue in this direction is really, I think, the course of the last decade. And it speaks to why there is inaction in Washington. On the point about the president, uh, the current president is dealing with a very bad hand. There's no question in terms of how uh, frozen things are in D.C. This is why there are some Democrats who are pushing him to take a different kind of action, to do something by executive order and let people challenge it in courts, uh, because it would be a recognition that we are in an extreme moment. Chris, Chris, you pick up on what Maggie was saying earlier. We talked about guns as a voting issue, but it does appear that this is, there's been a hardening in the Republican Party around this issue? Well, I think there's been a hardening on both sides, George. And I, I think that, the, that the, the president's speech this week reflected that as well on the Democratic side. Um, and Maggie's comments about um, the potentially taking executive action, which is a dubious thing to do from a legal perspective, shows the hardening on the left as well. And I think it's just a, a constant symptom of where we are in the country right now. This is one issue that that's a, a, an example of, but there are many others where people in each party have decided there's no compromise here because there's no one on the other side willing to compromise. And they say that about each other and point fingers both ways. And, and Is this really a both sides issue, though? No, I do, George, I think it, the, both sides create the atmosphere. Right. So when the president is saying the stuff that he said in his uh, his speech uh, the other evening this week and the emotion that he says it with, um, he is essentially trying to imply that people who disagree with him are immoral. And I think when you start raising it to that level, you better win, because if you don't, the other side will never move towards you ever. If you're going to say this is a purely moral. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole. Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole. You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. According to the Gun Violence Archive, there have been at least a dozen mass shootings this weekend alone. Parents and children around the country on edge. Since the elementary school massacre in Uvalde, Texas, 13 days ago, there have been 33 mass shootings across America. The crisis touching nearly every corner of this country. It feels like mass shootings are becoming as American as apple pie. There have been more mass shootings than days in the year so far. In only 157 days this year, there have been at least 246 mass shootings, defined as four more people shot and or killed in a single incident. Since Friday, listen to the numbers, there have been 13, 13 mass shootings in the U.S., including one in a busy part of Philadelphia and another outside a nightclub in Chattanooga. We have to do something. It's a sentiment echoed by the city's district attorney, Larry Krasner. We have 120 guns for every 100 human beings. 
That's ridiculous. This is supposed to be a country of human beings, not a country of guns. 211 homicides so far this year, 743 non-fatal shooting victims. What is a city to do? The city is to change. I mean, that's the bottom line. Under the gun, a weekend of stunts in America. 13 mass shootings in just 48 hours. In all, there were at least 13 shootings over the weekend, according to the Gun Violence Archive, which keeps track. The back-to-back -back deadly shootings capping a weekend of gun violence across the nation. Since Friday, there have been 13 mass shootings across the country, according to the Gun Violence Archive, which defines mass shootings as four or more shot, not including the shooter. There has been no let-up in the recent string of mass shootings across the United States, 13 incidents this weekend alone. The Gun Violence Archive reports at least 12 people killed. Four. I want to start by talking about the bipartisan effort in the Senate that they're working on. Chris Murphy has already said banning assault weapons out. Any sort of comprehensive background checks out. If these two basic and essential things aren't in there, then are we already aiming too low? I would say yes, Stephanie. I think, you know, we and I have talked about this before. Universal background checks is the floor for everything else. You know, I've heard they're talking about implementing a red flag law or providing funding so that states can implement red flag laws. Well, if you don't have universal background checks, then even when you have red flag laws, they're very, very difficult to enforce and implement because we don't have records at all of those transfers. We can prohibit someone from buying guns using a risk protective order, but if they can just go around it and buy a gun online or at a gun show or from a private seller legally, then it doesn't have the same impact. So I'm really disappointed to hear universal background checks are not part of that discussion. I don't know if I'm surprised or not, I had hoped that Uvalde might move the needle in terms of some Republicans realizing that it's long past time for them to get on with this. I've read about some Texas GOP donors speaking out in favor of things like universal background checks in the Dallas paper this morning. So I do think that it is time. I'm really disappointed to hear that universal background checks and assault weapon regulations are not in the conversation. Jason Johnson offered up this suggestion earlier today. Watch this. You can tell people to vote. You can say to get rid of this person, that person. But if you don't do anything about voting rights, they can't vote out the terrible people who are keeping these policies in place. When you get issues that are of importance, where 99% of the public is like, we're scared and we want something done, if they are prevented from expressing their frustration when it comes to getting to the ballot box, then nothing actually changes. So I would be connecting this to voting rights. I would be connecting this to January 6th. I would be saying we need to get rid of the gun-loving terrorists who are trying to kill your grandma at the grocery store. Their anger has frankly corroded into something more like hate. To the point where they, even as a minority, I mean, only about 30% of Americans are Republicans, are openly flaunting the idea that because they're not happy in and don't feel affirmed by a more socially liberal, modern, multicultural, and yes, more secular America, that there should be no safe spaces. If they have anything to do with it, there will be no place in this country where any of us should feel safe. That's our punishment. We have a political party that's selling demographic panic and rage and alienation, a really dangerous combination, saying basically that Democrats should feel afraid. I mean, they're saying immigrants should feel afraid and that, quote unquote, socialists should feel afraid. And since all Democrats are supposedly socialists, well, 
Too many immigrants are coming here. Build a wall to keep them out. Separate them from their kids. Women are having abortions and not helping grow the domestic population of infants. We'll just pass laws to make them give birth. Rape, incest, we don't care. You're going to do it, and anyone who helps you should fear getting sued. They're teaching history that makes me mad. Ban the books. Make teachers too afraid to teach what I don't like. They make me wear a mask or get vaccinated against COVID. Nope, no one tells me what to do. I'm going to get in your face and threaten you. I don't care if another million people die. Too many of them are voting for socialist policies like health care. How about a couple of armed poll watchers follow you to your car or make you stand in line with no water and then question your registration? Their so-called votes force Trump out of office. Let's storm the Capitol. Make even the cops fear us. We'll bring a noose. And OK, set aside ideological or emotional safety. We're not allowed to feel physically safe anywhere in America. Thanks to Republicans' ironclad partnership with the blood-soaked NRA, which long ago quit the gun safety business and has been working for decades to ensure that the most lethal arms get into as many alienated 18- and 19-year-old incel hands as possible so that we can't feel safe at Walmart, at the supermarket, at Bible study or church service, at the salon, at the hospital, if, God forbid, some guy gets mad at his doctor for not giving him opioids, at a nightclub, at a concert, even at a funeral or at school, whether you're in high school or you're 10 and in the fourth grade. In America, and only in America, you are literally rolling the dice every time you leave your house or drop off your kids at school. And you just have to pray that today is not your day or their day. We should at least put some of this in perspective. There are about 54 million kids in Americans who go to K through 12 in America. In the last 29 years, um, 170 kids have been killed in school shootings. But That's, how, many, how, uh, many, how does that compare to, like, if my kid goes to school in, in Great Britain or Canada? I mean, you see no, some no, parents like, like, should one, we leave? One know? school shooting, look, <laughs> it's I, I, too it's, many. for me, my approach is the exact same way it was about, the, uh, about terrorism. The number of people killed on 9-11 was not, you know, you could say, well, more people die in car accidents every year. I don't care. It's unacceptable. The moral outrage is entirely valid and justified. But if we're going to be telling people you can't switch lanes, you're absolutely right to be outraged about the crime. But if we're going to tell people they should be terrified about their kids being dropped off at school, we should yeah, remind them that their kids are more in danger we on the drive to school statistically no, no, than they no, are no, at no, the no, school. No, 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 we no, weren't no, no, we can't say, do this. No, but we, we can't. Have to have to people, a child's life cannot be a statistic, right? You can't tell the parents of Joaquin Oliver of Parkland. You can't tell Fred Gutenberg. Yeah, but that's you moral can't bullying. Tell my I'm making a basic point to say that you shouldn't tell people that they should be terrified. If it were your but child, it was not gonna. It would not be a statistic. It would be a tragedy that you would never, that. ever. That's moral bullying. Why, that's, is, that's it the, why is, is it moral? Why is it moral bullying? You're making well, it well, sound as if I don't have compassion for these no, people. Of course you do. No, it's a statistic I'm, and probabilities no, that we should. I'm saying you shouldn't tell American. You shouldn't tell the audience that this is the thing that they should be so terrified with, paralyzed with fear about their own kids when their kids are more likely yeah. to die from a lot of other well, things. Well, pick up the phone and call their senators That's and fine. telling them that Hold it's on. been 10 years in Sandy Hook and that we haven't done anything is a national shame. So paralyzed with fear and paralyzed with acceptance and resignation is what we've been for the last 10 years. And it's enough of that. Can no see? more paralysis. Yeah, Get your asses in gear and call your senators. The That's point. fine. I'm doing analysis. I am not doing activism. Look, and if you want to tell to Raphael, a well-known Japanese YouTuber, is also ex-military. But before taking up skeet shooting with instructor Takashi Maeda, he had to get a gun license, which in Japan is an ordeal. 
There's mandatory training. You have to pass a written exam, a physical, and a mental health evaluation. And even then, the police can go and ask your family and friends whether you've got any violent tendencies. From the time you began the process until you got your license, how long did it take? It took me a year, he said, and told me the police had even interviewed his wife. Japanese police do carry handguns, but they're the only ones who can have them, and they are rarely drawn. The Ozawa gun shop in Tokyo is open afternoons only. Katsumi Fukuda, the owner, offered to show me around. Is that you? Yes. Wow. He's proud of the buck he shot in northern Japan with a rifle, one of only three types of gun a civilian can own. Air guns are also allowed, he said, and shotguns, but that's it. I've heard that there's very strict control on ammunition as well. I see you have some uh, rounds here in the cabinet. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, he tells me, when a gun owner runs out, he needs police authorization to buy more. Does he think the law goes too far? Not a bit. Like most Japanese, he supports it as the price for almost zero gun violence. And how's this for ironic? Japan owes its strict gun laws to America. The machines themselves had to be destroyed. When the U.S. occupied Japan after World War II, it disarmed the country. To the scrap heap went the guns. Americans shaped the legislation that took firearms out of the hands of civilians. And to this day, that means getting hurt or killed by a gun in Japan. A place where most of us Americans live anyway. He came to Washington this week to push for measures that polls show most Americans support, like expanding background checks and raising the minimum purchasing age for semi-automatic weapons from 18 to 21. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. These regulations are not a step back. They're a step forward for civil society and, and the Second Amendment. But that argument has not swayed most Republican leaders. In fact, just today they announced their opposition to a red flag bill in the House that would allow guns to be taken away from people who pose a risk to themselves or to others. Those Republicans, Nora, say that such a bill would trample on Americans' Second Amendment rights. Pretty stunning, Nancy Cordes. Thank you. Tonight, an impassioned plea from the White House briefing room. I will like to bring up Matthew. From Academy Award-winning actor and Uvalde native, Matthew McConaughey. Uvalde, Texas is where I was born. I swear my, my mom taught kindergarten less than a mile from Robb Elementary. Uvalde is where I learned to master a, a, a daisy BB gun. Uvalde is where I learned responsible gun ownership. The actor now calling for concrete steps. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle. These are reasonable, practical, tactical regulations. Today, the White House got a high-profile boost in its push for new gun legislation from actor and Uvalde native Matthew McConaughey. We are in a window of opportunity right now that we have not been in before. An emotional McConaughey grimly highlighting a replica of green shoes worn by one of the Uvalde massacre's young victims, 10-year-old Maite Rodriguez. These are the same green converse on her feet that turned out to be the only clear evidence that could identify her after the shooting. 
about that. Bipartisan negotiators now say a gun deal could be reached this week. Democrats don't have the votes to raise the minimum age to buy AR-15 style rifles. Negotiators are instead focusing on stricter background checks, incentivizing. It's another one of those subjects. They know nothing about it. It's like if you go way, way back in this podcast, I got interviewed by, or I interviewed Paige in Oregon. She had never met a vet. She knew nothing about vets. And because I did a meme of, if you're confused on what gender you are, look at the, uh, just unzip your pants. She defriended me. They don't own guns. So because they don't own guns, they don't understand guns. They once again think, well, they have the right to tell you you shouldn't have a gun. That's the part about this is so astounding. You, as a citizen of the United States, a responsible gun owner, I mean, the Matthew McConaughey stuff, most of what he said I agree with. But even he admitted on uh, whatever that show is uh, with Brett Bear, they just go too far. They're they're not just going to do that. I, I'm for red flag laws, but red flag laws for liberals, they live in the digital world. They complain because you mispronoun. I mean, I'm not even, I'm going to cover a little bit in the woke, but the, what happened at WAPO this week? All women are bi. You just got to figure out if they're bisexual or bipolar. A joke. Reported by a co-worker at the Washington Post, suspended for a week. Taylor Lorenz lies, makes up shit, and gets caught doing it again about some YouTubers. They do 4,000 corrections that we did on the end of the last podcast that you probably didn't hear, and she's still working. That's what red flags are. It's not your cuckoo. Or that person has a mental illness and I saw him in the backyard shooting cats. It's I don't like you because of your politics. You have a Trump flag in your front yard. You have a Gadsden flag. You fly the American flag. Oh, that's just fucking horrible, man. It makes you sketchy, brah. You're sketchy, brah. You got to get taken out. Waiting periods. I can understand that. Three-day But they won't do it just for ARs. They'll do it for ammo. There's a law that's already written in blue states. You have to wait three days for ammo. And unbeknownst to all these guys, because I ran a gun store, if guys said shit, we didn't sell them the fucking gun. We told them to beat it. There are responsible, responsible gun dealers, gun users, but none of this will change somebody getting hold a gun and going cuckoo. Until we fix the person, the tool doesn't matter. Bob Vila can build a whole house with a handsaw because he's that good. Some of these crazies don't need that gun. They'll find something else to kill a motherfucker because they're goddamn crazy. But this is why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's never a good faith argument. 
The media wants to take all the guns away. They don't believe you should have guns. They should be circled with guns because you're evil and we don't trust you. That's why we're bringing all the Mexicans in so they can take your spot. And the Democrats, they don't want you armed. That's the last thing from total control. They know it. That's why Obama started Operation Choke Point, so you couldn't get loans if you're a gun company. Bought up all the ammo, so you couldn't get 5.56. We've never recovered from Obama a million rounds of 5.56 for DHS. We've never recovered. That was a decade ago. Never recovered. It's so bad that the last place I worked at removed the word tactical. Stop making fucking holsters. Slings. Guns are bad. But I want to remind you, in the summer of 2020, this happened. I will keep saying it. This is a purple issue now. It's not a red issue. It's not a southern issue. Matt in Oregon, my bro, got more guns than I do. Todd in Oregon has more guns than I do. Tom Kleeman out in Tucson has more guns than I do. You let the world go crazy. You supported it. You did not punish it. You then went full-fledged defund. You then got in George Soros's DAs and now you can murder a motherfucker and go back on the street if you're the right skin color with a phone and train money. There was no plan. Minneapolis police officer defended the third precinct tells their story. It's a sad story. There's plenty of videos. They just vacated. This week, gunman kills Wisconsin judge as part of political hit list. Mitch McConnell and others were next. It was briefly covered and buried like Waukesha. 
Then they put out all the false data. It's always false. None of it's true. According to the National Institute of Justice, which sits on the jurisdiction of Department of Justice, more than 70% of mass shootings have been carried out with handguns. Notably, most individuals engaged in mass shootings use handguns, 77.2, and 25.1 used assault rifles in the commission of the crimes. Of the known mass shooting cases, 32.5 cases could not be confirmed. 77% of those were engaged in mass shootings purchased at least some of their guns legally, while illegal purchases made up 13% of the committed mass shootings. In cases involved K-12 school, school shootings, over 80 percent of the individuals engaged in shooting stole guns from family members, a report issued in February 2022 states. Further, the ban on number of semi-automatic rifles from 94 to 2004 did not reduce mass shooting. A 2004 Department of Justice-funded study from the University of Pennsylvania Center of Criminology concluded the ban cannot be credited with the decrease in violence carried out with firearms. The report is titled An Update Assessment of the Federal Blah Blah Blah. We cannot clearly credit the ban with any of the nation's recent drop in gun violences, and indeed there has been no discernible reduction in lethality of injurious of gun violence based on the indicators like the percentage of gun crimes result in deaths and share of gunfire incidents result in injury. The ban's impact on gun violence is likely to be small at best and perhaps too small for reliable measure. AW's assault weapons were used in no more than 8% of gun crimes. But it's a weapon of war. You got generals. Take them off. In January 6, January 6 also woke Americans up. We watched back to back. This is okay. Whole cities burned down, people murdered, businesses burned to the fucking ground. Media supported, mostly peaceful. I could play it. I've played it too many times. Parading in the building. That's insurrection. Larry Krasner. The terrible crime last night on South Street tells our Pennsylvania legislature it's time for real action. Boycott NRA lobbyists, boycott NRA donations, and bring real common sense. The NRA, once again, $2 million. They're almost bankrupt. Now do Planned Parenthood. We pay them $650 million. They give out $50 million every election cycle. And then you have all these videos, kids beating people up. Many of us saw the horrific video of Rachel's case on the news. She was walking in Venice with an eight-month-old son with the unthinkable. Under George Cascone, someone almost kills them and gets only five months in camp. And the problem is, he was already a felon. They're trying this shit. Ban all semi-automatic rifles. Offer buyback 5,000 gun for three months. No questions asked. After three months, possession is felony. Offer 5,000 for anyone who reports possession with no questions asked. Background checks, mental health, and licenses. The government can't buy back something they never own. And LOL, your idea for 5 gay per gun, you want the government to print more money to pay for that? Somebody's response, no to number one. Two, the government did not buy my weapons, so they can't buy them back. Three, good luck. Four, we already have background checks. We already have it. It's 4473, people lie. That's supposed to be a felony. But the president's son did it, and it was okay. The Secret Service covered it up. They tried to get the 4473, which would put the gun dealer in violation of fucking 
firearms and tobacco. Get them to lose their fucking license. All through this salon, Second Amendment is white supremacy. White supremacy. There's a lot of black people that own guns. I bet they're surprised that they're now Dave Chappelle on that skit. Amy Swear. Well, first, let's play this. Here's CNN. This is what they've been running all fucking week. State, no city, no street corner seems to be safe from the scourge of gun violence that is shaking the nation. There were at least 10 mass shootings in America over the weekend. Ten. On a busy, on busy South Street in Philadelphia, multiple gunmen opened fire into a crowd, killing three and wounding 11. Police there still searching for the shooters. A shooting at a graduation party in Clarendon County, South Carolina, killed one person and wounded seven others. In Chattanooga, Tennessee, two people killed, at least 14 injured, at a shooting at a nightclub. A third person was hit by a fleeing car, and that person died. Then in Socorro, Texas, five teenagers were shot at a graduation party. Two of them are in critical condition this morning. So many mass shootings, so many shattered lives. Guns are now at the forefront of a national debate about how to stop the carnage. Congress expected to take up gun control this week, and senators on both sides of the aisle are expressing some cautious optimism about getting a bipartisan deal done there. Polo Sandoval beginning our coverage in Philadelphia. We're shopping on South Street turned deadly over this weekend. A beautiful weekend, Polo. I can't even imagine how many people there were in the area. Yeah, Brianna, we now know a little bit more about that shooting that happened on this very street. It was just packed with hundreds of people. Police saying that it was basically a street brawl that very quickly and violently turned into a shootout that left just over a dozen people injured, three of them fatally. Police Commissioner Daniel Outlaw saying that many of those affected were simply innocent bystanders. And Brianna, when we heard from the police commissioner yesterday, there was certainly a high level of frustration and heartbreak in her voice as her city continues to struggle with this increase in gun violence. And she knows her city is not alone. This is the scene following another mass shooting in the United States, this time in Philadelphia. Police said several active shooters fired into a crowd Saturday night, killing at least three people and injuring 11 others. We're absolutely devastated, devastated by this incident. And we mourn the lives lost and the dozens and dozens of lives affected by this tragedy. Philadelphia police said a physical altercation led to the shooting. They said one gunman was likely shot and wounded but escaped police and another suspected gunman likely among the three people killed. In all, police said at least five guns were likely used by multiple shooters. It's unacceptable. It's beyond unacceptable. There's been at least nine mass shootings since Friday across eight states, leaving at least 12 people dead and dozens more injured. I'm tired of standing in front of you talking about guns and bodies. Sunday morning in Chattanooga, Tennessee, three people were killed and at least 14 others injured near a downtown nightclub. Police said some of the victims were hit by bullets, while others by fleeing cars. There are families whose lives have been shattered forever because once again, we had people deciding to resolve their issues with firearms. Another shooting at a bar, this one in Mesa, Arizona. Two people dead, two more injured. Also in Arizona, a strip mall shooting early Saturday in Phoenix. One person was killed, eight others hurt. 
I heard over a hundred gunshots going off. A group of people that just started running like every different direction. Phoenix police said the person killed is a 14 year old girl. More children hurt this time in Somerton, South Carolina. Police at a drive-by shooting at a graduation party left one woman dead and seven others injured, including five minors ages 12 to 17 years old. And the mass shootings didn't stop there. Another five hurt in Socorro, Texas. One killed, three hurt in Omaha, Nebraska, and one person killed and five hurt in Chesterfield, Virginia. I was almost asleep and heard numerous gunshots, 20 to 40, woke me up instantly. Um, my fiance run down the steps yelling, get up, get up, gunshots, gunshots. And the number of reported shootings continues to increase. In fact, just getting word now of one that happened earlier this weekend in Saginaw, Michigan, that left a total of three people dead and two injured. Here in Philadelphia, things getting off to extremely violent and heartbreaking start, too. Brianna and John were told that a pregnant woman was shot and killed. Doctors, however, miraculously able to save her baby. Back to you. Amazing. Polo, thank you so much for that report. And so do they feel powerless or do people believe they can do something about it? The good news is people think this is preventable. You get big majorities that say it can be stopped, it can be prevented. And it's not something that we have to accept. Now, there is a quarter who says that, unfortunately, this may be something that we have to accept in a free society. And I do want to point out uh, some partisan difference here. There is bipartisan view that it can be prevented, but there are four in 10 Republicans who do say that it may be something we have to accept. And that partisan difference is going to cut through a lot of this, Margaret. Now, I do want to say that when we ask people why they think that the U.S. has so many unfortunate mass shootings. The availability of guns comes out as a top answer, but not the only answer. People point to things like mental health issues, the influence of violence in the culture. So it is a range, and that is important. But I do want to look at this idea of the availability of guns, because the numbers who say that gun laws should generally become more strict is up in recent weeks. It's up since the tragedy in Buffalo to 60% now. And then when you look again at what people think is causing this and what might be a way forward, well, the number who think that the U.S. would be safer if fewer people had guns it does outweigh the number who say that they think things would be safer if everyone or more people had guns. But this is a mix. And it comes back to this larger idea that to solve a problem and prevent a problem, you first have to come to agreement on its causes, Margaret. Yes, guns are a part of life. Mass shootings are a part of life. But that CNN thing is so perfect because what is a mass shooting? You guys change it. BB guns, squirt guns, every town just fucking lies. Amy Schwerer, I'm going th through 2022 school shooting data, and this is your friendly reminder that many gun control groups routinely affiliate school shooting numbers to scare people into thinking Uvalde happens every week. It doesn't. Here are a few of my favorite inclusions from every town. An adult couple met with strangers to buy a car in an elementary school parking lot at midnight. The seller tried to rob them. One woman was shot in the shoulder and injured. A 27-year-old man was found fatally shot in his car behind a school building. A 20-year-old was found fatally shot behind a school building. Another man was fatally shot in a school parking lot at 6.40 a.m. on a Sunday.
After a high school graduation ceremony on public accessible tennis court belonging to a local college, one teenager shot two other teenagers, one fatally, and, and fled. A teenager shot another teenager on an elementary school property on a Sunday. There is literally... Oops, sorry, should have muted my phone. There's literally one mo where an armed woman chased her ex-boyfriend out of the apartment, is confronted by officers near a daycare center and fairly shot, and the press release literally says the daycare center was not involved and there was never in harm's way. Are these all instances of gun violence? Yes. Are they all problematic in their own right? Yes. But packaging these as part of the school shooting epidemic is dishonest. My God, they literally count a cop who shot himself with his own vehicle vaguely near a elementary school, presumably overnight mid-July. We got a 25-year-old fatally shot, and I quote here, near a school playground on a Sunday evening. A 17-year-old fatally shot outside of an elementary school on Veterans Day when the school wasn't in session. Doesn't get less absurd. They include an instance where after a night game for an adult league flag football league, a man fatally shot a member of the opposing team because of an on-field dispute solely because it happened behind an elementary school. I discovered the no one injured filter, and let me tell you, some of these are absolute doozies. We got an instance where a stray bullet struck a window of an elementary school when no one was inside the building. We got a couple shots fired near a middle school baseball field on a Friday evening with a 20-year-old and her friends were talking, taking batting practice, apparently not directed at anyone associated with the school, and no one was injured. There are bullets hitting the outside wall of a middle school gym in early morning before anyone was on a campus. More adults in flag football years get football leagues get in a skirmish. Guys, these examples are all just from 21 to 22. A bit of tangential, but I'm also finding way more stories of school SROs protecting kids than I knew about seriously. Like, did you know that in March, an SRO at Woodbridge, Virginia Middle School confronted a man armed with a rifle and a shotgun? Woodbridge isn't that far from me, and I had no idea. The armed man threatened during a domestic dispute in a nearby home, then fired off a shotgun around a school property. Staff members rightly noticed the SRO, requested additional officers, and locked down the school. Once that was done, he confronted the armed man outside the school as he cut through the property and arrested him. Atlanta in March, an SRO shot and wounded a parent who showed up brandishing a gun at a high school students and staff during school dismissal. She'd been charged with a whole bathtub full of criminal offenses. Just last month in Florida, SRO Fedley shot a man who drove through a high school breezeway into a tree, ran into a school auditorium, and fought with a staff member. Everyone is over here winning, whining about, but every town counts gunfire at schools and not school shootings, as though this is somehow now an honest framing of the issue. Let's do some other databases. Same problem. This one's from Edwink. Things that happen near school. Four teens getting a fight in a parking lot outside a nighttime basketball game. Now a school shooting. Same for an adult man shot in a parking lot during a high school basketball game. Student shot near a school after the basketball game. Now a school shooting. Student shot in a parking lot 45 minutes after school. Interpersonal disputed school in the parking lot. Now school. It just goes on and on and on. On and on. Every one of them is disingenuous. They will count anything they can. And the problem is we've always known this but the media claims that every town is an upright source the southern poverty law center who terms every republican book club racist is a source media matters 
a source. That's why Matthew McConaughey makes a lot of sense. But when you can't, as he said last night, facts are facts. What facts? We're working from different facts. You count anything around a school as a school shooting. That's not a fact. But Republicans will buck on this. They're working on some bills. You you will see a red flag, some form. You will see some form of checks, and they're going to raise to 21. The same people that say a 16-year-old should vote in the election are going to say you need to be 21 to own a 5.56 rifle. To our woke. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we bear to the bone. Get on the floor. Run it loose. Got to put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the part of scene, as you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up. Let's get woke. some rights and freedom that would tell you that but since you seem to forget that and you're all loud and proud with your big thoughts and your big big ideas and you want to whatever fucking set up hot tubs in ottawa i'm a recruiter it's a small 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 industry smaller than you'd think same with hr so if you're looking for a job or maybe trying to keep a job maybe just maybe think what you're putting on social media. Again, freedom fighters. I know you're not really big with stats and, you know, facts aren't your thing, you know? But what I can tell you, what is a fact, is that recruiters talk. And recruiters, like the majority of Canada, don't agree with you. Do you know what that means? Do you have any guesses? Any guesses what that means? What that means is that if you need a job, you might not get one. If you want to keep a job, you might not get to do that. And you know what else HR is good at? Documentation. You know what that means? You want to be an asshole. We document it. We give you a couple tries. Then what do we do? We terminate you with cause, if we're so lucky. If not, we give you the minimum allowed by law. Either way, best of luck to you. Recruiters are watching. HR is watching everywhere. And we hate you. We hate you so much. And you think we can't do anything. But we can. We have the power. Always remember that. Doesn't matter if there's a fucking man at the top of your HR department. It's run by women. And it's run by angry women just like me. (sighs) I'm so, so glad I got that off my chest. It's been eating me up inside. And honestly, my heart goes out to you guys. I mean, you have families to feed, right? You brought your kids to this big event. You're freedom fighters. You're standing up. Oh, they will be so, so proud. So, so, so proud of you. Fuck yourself. Fuck, fuck, fuck yourself. Mwah. Love you. Emma, ask, tell me about what drew you to wanting to tell the story of the Janes, a little known, not widely known part of, of American legal history and medical history? Yeah, 
I have a family connection to this story. Um, so I always sort of knew about it. Um, but, you know, it, it's just we so often don't hear about that the female heroes of history, those stories don't get told. So it was just such a compelling uh, opportunity for us to give these women a platform, especially at this time. You know, um, we're filmmakers. This is what we have to contribute to the, to the fight. You know, we, we believe in this medium uh, to create empathy around the issue, to put people in other people's shoes. And, and we believe in these women. These are deeply moral women um, that wanted to save lives and could testify uh, to what this country looked like last time. Um, women's bodily autonomy, um, they didn't have their own bodily autonomy and, and they didn't have the right to choose. And Tia, nearly 50 years later, Roe v. Wade likely to be overturned. So what do you hope that people take away from the film? And we hope that people, you know, as Emma said, you know, get a sense of what it was like, you know, before we had, you know, federal protection for abortion and, and understand that this is, this is our future. And, you know, it, it may mean death sentences for, for many people who won't be able to access, you know, affordable or safe legal abortion care. You know, because what we know and what we found in this film is you know, when, when abortion is criminalized, it doesn't mean that women don't have abortions. It just means that they don't have access to safe abortions. So we hope this film is a cautionary tale and also an inspiration, you know, to help people understand the stakes and to mobilize, you know, for change. Oh, there's a lot of love for them abortionists. Bunch of abortionists. Those are good people. You understand that, right? They're better than you. You also saw some, that's an HR, really? That's, that's an HR person. I... Wow. What, what happened? I mean, seriously, how did this happen so fast? You know, it makes you think, you know, how did we get this bad so fucking fast? But during this week, D.C. Presidency Center vandalized Jane Says Revenge all over it. Not national news. You fucking take a shit somewhere. Near up Planned Parenthood, it's national news. Firebomb, pro-life pregnancy center, third bombing in a week. Different location. Time laments potential end to row heralds activist push to greenlight abortion pills online. Yeah, that's nice. That's, that's, what, what the hell? This one is probably one of my favorite sound bites. Um, Politico reporter sounds alarm on a lot of white folks from the suburbs becoming poll workers to target heavenly minority districts. I thought questioning election processes or outcome is insurrection. But as the January 6th panel moves into the public hearing phase of its work now, the Republican Party has already been laying out the groundwork to subvert future elections. It's already June, which means we're more than halfway through a midterm election year. In five months, a new slate of governors, senators, and House members will be voted into office. But as we approach Election Day, 
There's cause for concern that bad actors could undermine the integrity of the vote and the will of the people. Heidi Presbolo, reporting for Politico, recently obtained recordings of Republican Party operatives coordinating with grassroots activists to develop a strategy that will allow the GOP to challenge election results and possibly overturn the votes in Democratic districts. One plan would involve recruiting and installing Republican Party members as poll workers who would monitor the results and report back possible issues to GOP attorneys who could then challenge the results. We are trying to recruit, truly, it's going to be an army, right? We are going to try to recruit lawyers. We're going to have more lawyers than have ever been recruited because, let's be honest, that's where it's going to be fought, right? That was the voice of Matthew Seyfried, the Republican Party's uh, National Committee's, quote, election integrity director for Michigan. Those tapes, again, were obtained by Heidi Presbella reporting for Politico. We've not independently obtained them at NBC News. But these tapes show, once again, Republicans saying the quiet part out loud. The effort to overturn the 2020 election was just a trial run. The GOP has identified weaknesses in our electoral system and they're seeking to exploit as soon as this November. What happened in 2020 was an effort to delegitimize a legitimate election. And it appears that the electoral strategy that the Republican Party is sticking with for the near future. For its part, the RNC maintains its, quote, following precedent, the law and best practices, end quote, with this strategy. Joining me now is Heidi Presbola. I'm sure you know her well from her time here at NBC News. She's a veteran Washington journalist and the reporter behind that political report about the GOP's plan to install poll workers at voting precincts this November. Heidi, good to see you, my old friend. Um, thank you for this great reporting. It's alarming insofar as the GOP at the state level in Michigan, but elsewhere, has institutionalized this effort to undermine uh, voting through these various mechanisms. They're looking for a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, Ellie, I consulted a number of election law experts on this, and they all say it's unprecedented because what you have here is not just a political party <clears throat> recruiting the folks who are supposed to be the nonpartisan election experts who administer our elections, but also training them, setting up workshops and specifically how to contest votes and equipping them with the tools to do so, including a hotline that would connect them while they're in those halls with roving party attorneys, as well as <clears throat> a website site, Ali, because it's not always possible to use a cell phone when you're inside an election administration center. And the important part about this also, Ali, is that in all of the hours of tapes that I listened to, I heard to a person, all of these individuals talking about how <clears throat> there was fraud in the 2020 election and that the intent here is to stop that fraud from happening again. And that some of the folks that they are aligned with or the places where they're recruiting these folks are really the hardcore MAGA folks who really believe that fraud occurred. And they are primarily targeting, Ali, <clears throat> Democratic minority precincts. So you, what you're going to see here visually is a lot of white folks from the suburbs coming in and 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 trying to administer or actually having these official positions administering elections in these heavily minority districts where we already saw for instance in detroit in 2020 that was really one of the hot spots where there was a lot of election challengers who were on the outside trying to cause chaos this time it could potentially be on the inside ellie
So here, the issue here is that what a lot of people think they saw uh, in the 2020 election and in the January 6th stuff was a, a national and, and statewide strategy to subvert the election. But what you're reporting on, and it is uniquely important in a place like Michigan, but also in Wisconsin and Arizona and, and Georgia and Pennsylvania, is this precinct level strategy. It's not just about state level voting ID changes and mail-in ballots. It's precinct level stuff. Tell me why that is important for our viewers to understand. This is an entire architecture. Steve Bannon has been talking about this for months on his podcast, that he wants MAGA loyalists become the worker bees of the election system, right? So what you would have here is this happening in a number of states, battleground states. And based on my reporting in Michigan, I can only speak for what is happening in Michigan, there was also talk of creating a nationwide district attorney network of friendly district attorneys who then could be contacted um, and, and pulled into this as well, Ellie, as law enforcement. Now, one of the most recent recordings that I heard was from this month of a former state senator in Michigan who participated in one of these summits talking about how law enforcement just doesn't understand because last time they kicked us out when we were trying to um, contest votes in Detroit. And this time we're reaching out proactively in advance so we can educate law enforcement wow. about what voter fraud is. Of course, I never heard in these tapes, Allie, anyone talk about the fact that there had been over 250 audits in the state of Michigan, as well as a comprehensive report by the Republican-led Senate Committee Oversight Committee that found there was no evidence of widespread fraud. And in fact, the individuals who propagated that should be investigated for trying to further their own political interests. Yeah, Michigan had a uniquely safe uh, election and a secretary of state who takes election safety uh, and integrity, even though it's become a weird buzzword, very, very seriously. Heidi, great to see you, my friend. Thank you for joining us this morning. Heidi Prisbella. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. I've never been to a polling place that wasn't run by liberals. I live in the fucking South. CNN and many other people, Jason, Jason Adam, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jalen something, Jalen Beeks, Brooke Raley, Jeffrey Springs, Ryan Thompson, refused to wear LGBT stuff. And for that, they were taken out to the woodshed. CNN, several players on Tampa Bay Rays do not wear LGBT logos on the uniforms of the team's Pride Night celebration during Saturday's game against the Chicago White Stocks. You pieces of fucking shit. Bow down, bitches. Bow! Which brings me to my new bumper, which got ruined by the last podcast. So I've resurrected some of those sound bites. It's time for trans child abuse. On the 6th of March, we welcomed our beautiful twins into the world. A boy called Arlo and a girl called Emerald. 
the first one they said was, this is a girl. I can remember your face just like lighting up like, this mm -hmm. is amazing. And then the next one is on, this is a boy. It was like jackpot, you know, one of each. This is the perfect combination here. Yeah, look at Daddy flipping. So now they're four years old and they identify as two boys. The first time that I realized Stormy wanted to identify as male was about roughly two and a half. But it's not really, he said, I want to be a boy. He said, I am a boy. And that is the difference. My name is Stormy and I'm four years old. I feel like a boy and I want to be a boy. Sometimes people call me girl. Do they? How does that make you feel? Sad. I can't remember the exact moment it switched over, but there was that point where I thought, you know what, this isn't just this isn't just a phase. This is not a little girl we're looking at here, it's a little boy. He started being unhappy with being dressed as a girl, so he started being unhappy with wearing dresses. Hair clips were a big no-no. Mm. Didn't like hair clips, didn't like the pigtails. He was genuinely upset at being dressed as a girl. Before I had children, and certainly before the last couple of years, this whole thing that I'm saying, I, I would have thought it was ridiculous. Honestly, I would. I would have, I would have watched me and said, no, you, you, you're crazy. You're making it up. You're abusing a child. We constantly say, are you a boy today? Or do you feel like you, you might? Because I don't want him to feel like he's took himself down a route that he can't turn back on. One, thing, one theme that I'm thinking a lot about right now is um, I think there's this cultural fear. We see it a lot around don't say it, don't talk about privilege, don't freak the white child out. Um, so because of that cultural fear, it, like in the research that I've done to write the book, I definitely found a level of silence among white parents of white children. Um, so I think, you know, what, what we can do now is really help caregivers understand that helping their white child know the story of resistance and the story of movements of people coming together that is, that are always so diverse, but movements that are led by people of color and how do you take a back seat and be quiet and learn? I mean, even that shift, th those kinds of learnings, that's what I'm really interested in right now is sort of being quieter and helping people of privilege learn how to be a little quieter. Um, and that's, I think that's, a, that's a, going to be a big challenge for us, um, but it's, I think it's important. I think that's a big way to support. The Pride Progress flag specifically represents the need for continued progress in the areas of acceptance and inclusion for uh, all members of the LGBTQ plus, plus, plus community. And I have those students in my classes at the school. So teaching that uh, acceptance and inclusion in my classroom is absolutely the place to be teaching that. Insert here, long awkward pause while I try to imagine why that wouldn't be the place to teach that. But I really think, to be perfectly honest, that comments like this come from people who actually don't really understand what's going on in the classroom, what's going on with our students, and what we're really doing, and what that flag really means. If you think you can do it like we do it, I want you to come up here real quick. If you think you can do it, if you think you can walk the runway with the girl, who wants to be a diva for the day? Yeah, everybody come back here with me. Walk for me. Walk for me. You're gonna let you walk. Who you, you pick who you wanna walk the runway with. You pick who you wanna walk the runway with. Okay, go with her. You guys go with her. 
How about, okay, if one person can go with me. Who wants to go first? You want to go with me? Well, all right. This is my partner in crime today. You ready to do this? On the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. Let's go. It's not gonna lick itself. Yeah, I want my kids seeing that. I also seen all over the web uh, three dudes in GIMP and uh, yeah, kids. So uh, this is all, of course, libs of TikTok, and the stuff I missed from last one. I, I want want to hit this because come on NASCAR, come on. Come the fuck on. That's not even your wheelhouse. Matt in Oregon gave me this one, but I did put it up last time because what the fuck? Gunny is rolling in his grave. Rainbow bullets. I mean, it's so forced. And you see this stuff. I mean, what the fuck? Oh, I didn't add it. I'm an idiot. Hold on. This is just um, one one, I say, one day, couple pickups of uh, Libs of TikTok. And it goes a little something like this Pizza fucking hut hawking. A children boast about the big wig. This is. Community center, come on out, drag queens. It's all good. Bring your kids. Lake County Pride Fest. It's important to have pride, 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 pride. It's all about pride. 
Kenosha. Because they just want Anifal to come burn down their shit anymore. Why, why do you keep coming up? And this is from teachers and shit. If your parents don't accept you, I will. That, that kind of conduct and statements, it, it makes you really, it makes you think. It really does. With the I'll be your mommy. That, that's some fucked up shit. But Ian Haworth brings up the key thing about all this trans bullshit. These are the companies that have U.S. tweets for Pride Month because they don't want their shit burned down. BP, nothing from the Middle East branch. BMW, no Middle East. Cisco, Mercedes, uh, Bethesda, HP, uh, Pfizer, Coca-Cola, none of them had anything in the Middle East or from the Middle East branch or anything. We're not, we're, no. So if it, pride is so important, wouldn't you want it there where they actually throw motherfuckers off roofs? Off the, the roof? Or is it just me? Article from the Federalist. If Amazon isn't woke enough for LGBTQ activists, no company will ever be. And and these people are freaking out about fucking everything. Oh. Coalition of trans organizations. Sorry, I had my snack. A little oatmeal, a little fruit cocktail, a couple graham crackers. You got to eat snacks. Can't eat real food. You got to eat snacks. Drink prune juice so you can shit marbles. If this is a hernia, I am suing some people. That's all I got to say. Chris Rufo, Coalition of Taxpayer-Funded taxpayer funded Trans Organizations of Demand the Society Decolonize the Gender Binary provide cash reparations for gender non-conforming people and affirm mustaches and big dicks as authentic expression of woman here hood last year a group of washington state gender identity nonprofits, all of which work with children receive public funding hosted a presentation series called decolonizing gender claiming that the process of creating men and women actually is the process of genocide and here are the sound bites from that fucking shit show. We have to acknowledge that the center of the transphobic colonial order that we are talking about that has erased this history is warfare. And it is warfare against indigenous people. I have it here uh, just as a trigger warning. It's very upsetting and uh, pretty violent imagery, but it's also one of the most famous images of anti-indigenous violence from the conquistadores. What's interesting is that people rarely talk about the fact that this is also an instance of transphobic violence. And one of the first moments that this order of transphobic violence is immediately connected to the war against indigenous people and their cultural ways and their cultural values and their histories. And it is the it is that that process of creating men and women actually is the process of 
genocide. We would not have the two genders that we have if not for the massive genocidal project of eliminating and eradicating people who offer alternatives in our society. And so these are the facts that we need to uh, establish about the gender critique <laughs> that we have about the gender resistance and the legacy of gender resistance that we inherit. It is, it is uh, just as much part of the resistance to colonialism and the resistance to enslavement and the resistance to capitalism as it is uh, the resistance to the gender binary because all of those things are intimately connected. There are some facts to establish before we move forward. There is no such thing as uh, male genes or female hormones or a male body. In fact, there is an entire universe of different uh, embodiments and body shapes and decisions that we make about our bodies and what we do to our bodies and how we use them and how we shape them that create different combinations that cannot be reduced to one of two for our entire lives. Intersex people are uh, an example of this kind of erasure that happens in our society. For gender, myself, it's been a constant, you know, struggle under colonialism, not to accept and affirm myself, but to find acceptance and affirmation and understanding outside of myself um, in a colonial society. Um, I grew up loving myself very much, loving what I saw in the mirror very much, very euphoric about my future and my final form very much. Um, it was colonial society that influenced me to hate myself, to separate and fracture parts of my identity, to separate and fracture parts of my reflection and how I saw myself and how that self related to everything else around me and the relationship to myself and to the land. And I just wanted to speak that into existence because it's, it's very real for me even to this day. Um, I really see all gender dysphoria as being a product of colonialism. Um, I definitely see it as, as being something, you know, central to myself and my own identity. Um, I 100%, you know, want to still be able to look in the mirror and see every part of myself as a woman, see every part of myself as a two-spirit, you know, trans woman, a beautiful being. My mustache, you know, my all of my facial hair, my untrimmed brows, you know, like my my fat ass, like my my belly, my big dick, like you know everything. I want I want to be able to see every part of myself as a woman, because that's exactly what I am. That's what I saw myself when I was closest to spirit as a child, and that's what I will see myself as before I depart into the next world as an elder. And like for me, when I was growing up, colonialism looked a lot like, my first introduction to colonialism looked a lot like um, me waking up at, you know, four in the morning, five in the morning, every morning to, you know, sounds of, you know, my ancestors screaming from outside my window, um, coming from the, the ground, coming from the earth um, and nature outside, you know, like 
waking me up to tell me that like, hey, there, there's work to be done. There are things that haven't been overturned. There are things that haven't been addressed and you are the one that's capable of doing it and we're tapping you. We're tapping you because we know that you are capable and we've been waiting for a long time through this bloodline for someone to come along who is capable of holding that as a vessel for this work, right? Um, and I know like all of us have our own experience with that calling um, here today that are, that are speaking and those of us even, you know, in audience. Um, but that's what really radicalized me at a very young age amongst many other things, uh, you know, hearing those screams every morning is what really radicalized me because there are things that most other folks around me, including my, my mother could not hear. Um, and there are things that they, they, you know, that did not affect those individuals in the same way. Um, and I carried that, I followed those screams, you know, into the woods as a child. Um, my parents, you know, didn't really like watch me very much. My parents, sorry, should I say, didn't really watch me very much. Uh, growing up, so I often wandered into the woods and was taught um, by my ancestors in those woods, you know, in, in the forms of nature spirits, um, in the forms of elementals, in the forms of, you know, natural deities and old gods, you know, while I was out there, you know, I was taught many things and, you know, my mind was decolonized in that way from a very young age. They, they worked to decolonize me because they knew I was capable of me as that vessel, right, for this work. To folks watching, um, I think another way that you can support people who are doing community work, if you have like access to generational wealth, if you're white um, and your parents, you know, like have like a savings account that is, you know, very much so connected to slavery and land theft, you know, pay people, pay people directly, give them the money so they can have the financial security in order to rest and to heal and to connect um, with their communities in a way that they wouldn't have to because they've been working, because they've been doing this work. We've always been doing this work. Um, so yeah, I, I think Randy brought this up before, but like pay that money, you know, reparations, like pay that money to us now because we need that. We don't have, especially for Black and Indigenous folks, we don't have like, um, you know, a safety net in order to take that time to heal. Um, and it can be a privilege for some. So um, if you have those resources, share them. Um, and, you know, let's all just, it's healing can also be like a collective thing too. It takes like a, it takes a village, you know, as, some, as an African proverb would say, it takes a village. So um, we all have to do this together um, and support one another. So, yeah, thank you. You know, I don't see myself as 100% woman, even though I use trans femme, trans woman interchangeably all the time. You know, um, I take hormones so that I have breasts, you know, so I can appear whatever, a way so you can, again, interpret what my soul is. But if I were to tell you like, oh yeah, I want to be called non-binary, trans femme my whole life. No, I don't. I just want to be called Randy, Aisha, you know, those, you know, whatever I want you to call me, you know, mommy, queen, daddy, if I want you to. I want to see people, you know, my young people, they, when I would bring up pronouns, they would come up with Wakanda. They would come up with Pokemon Trainer. They would come up with whatever was on their heart. And I was like, that is the world I want to see where we're calling ourselves cyborgs. We're calling ourselves whatever we need in order to feel good about ourselves. Like, why can't we just feel good about ourselves and affirm ourselves and then people respect that. So yeah, I definitely think gender needs to go. I identify, I used to identify as gender fluid.
did, and I think um, I've been identifying more recently is, is a little bit more gaseous or plasma-like, <laughs> like a different state of matter in terms of how I flow and uh, turn around in gender. I know initially when um, the questions were sent out, um, the question was, is gender worth decolonizing? And does it deserve to be liberated from colonialism? Um, I kind of struggled with that question. Um, I felt it was tricky. And um, like like Randy, I just want to live in a world where, um, you know, if I call myself a unicorn, I'd be that. And people will be well with that. You know, if you got money and you got that from slavery and uh, land theft, just give that shits up, bitches. I, I just never thought in my lifetime I'd hear shit like that. Seriously. Give me your shit. British trans males pushing back against cycling federation resistance in this, as usual, they whooped the shit out of all the women. Oh, good job. Anger overtook dad after his black daughter played with a white doll in Tuesday op-ed from the Atlantic Boston University, Kendi X. Express deep worry over his daughter liking a white doll. We wonder if our black child attachment to a white doll can mean she has already breathed in what the psychologist Benvery Daniel Tatum has called the smog of white superiority. Man, you be a racist. You a fucking racist, brah. That's some racist ass shit. Like, Racist. Billy Eichner says Hollywood is homophobic and hypocritical. How the fuck are they hypocritical and homophobic when every show's got gay in it? We watched some rando movie yesterday and they had two girls kissing. Just so they weren't getting mobbed. Like, seriously, bro. Then to the Weigel thing. So once again, he does a joke and he's done. So Felicia Simmons, fantastic to work at a news outlet where retweets like this are allowed. That's how she got him. Okay, this is crazy. Watch the post is now suspended Dave Weigel for a month without pay for retweeting a silly joke. Dave Weigel isn't just a great political reporter. He's a good guy, goes out of his way to be compassionate, fair-minded to both sides, his subject and his readers. Those who are trying to reduce him to a dumb dad joke he didn't even write reveal more about themselves than him. This is ridiculous. Same here. And I was just some random Florida blogger who had a little website I created by Googling how do I make a blog. I remember how people treated me when I had zero power and influence that matter. Olivia Newsy, one of the first reporters I ever met was Dave Weigel, and he dedicated... And in the decade I have known him, he has always been generous and kind. I can think of a dozen other journalists who are also lucky to call Dave a friend. But they took him out anyway. Sajar and Genty. Just so we are clear, Taylor Lorenz can literally lie and violate basic standards and get no punishment. Felicia can leak her boss's email, violate company policy, and harass her co-workers, and it's good to go. Dave Wagle shitposts, and he's suspended without pay for a month. I'm sure there's not at all overreaction to a single retweet of a joke you could see any night on Comedy Central will calm things down and make the world more just. Congrats to all involved. Biggest congrats to me for never again having to work for an employer like this. 
Everyone knows what they're doing to Weagle is a cruel joke. Everyone, even the people doing it to him. And that's the most fucked up aspect about it. And that's really what it's about. Back in the beginning days of this podcast, I talked about how it was power. These people who felt like they're freaks, nobody treated them like freaks, but they believed it. And then they got power. They made up a new religion because they didn't like religion. So they made one. L-G-B-T-E-I-E-I-O. And then they forced it on the world. And Democrats who need that 5% of the populace, and specifically, I guess, the point zero seven, it's really important to them. They latched onto it. Media did. And they pushed that shit like a fucking anvil just to make people shut the fuck up. But when this sexist shit comes out, I just fucking laugh. Because there is no gender, Moonbeam. You told us there's no gender. I mean, what the fuck? How's it sexist? A couple weeks ago, I said, I can't believe after Floyd, they didn't go black. Well, black voters, polling is really bad for Biden. Like, really bad. Because even they ain't down with this bullshit. And maybe that's it. They realize they're not going to get the guaranteed black vote because black people have gas tanks that got to fill up. They need baby formula. They need to buy food that now is insanely more expensive. And oh, by the way, they see, they're watching you on the border. They, they see what you're doing. Those motherfuckers are going to take their jobs too. It ain't just a white man thing. They see you going after guns. They see you making January 6th something that it isn't. And then still trying to make it and put it in prime time. Well, once again, they just want gas. They got to get to the goddamn job. I mean, I'm sure some of them, an article from the last show that I fucked up and destroyed, I'm sure they're happy that, you know, you're not going to have to pay child support anymore if you're black. Because that's the California reparation shit. Some of them are happy about that. But in the end, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's bad. So let's do lighter fare. I have traveled all over the world for the past year asking one simple question. What is a woman? What is a woman? What is it? What is it? I don't know. <laughs> People are laughing. Is that, is that a dumb question? <laughs> I've been asking everybody this and almost nobody can answer it. What is a woman? What is a woman? That's a great question. If one person could tell me what a woman is. Congressman, thank you for, for being here. I think this interview is over. Let's turn off the cameras. I just wanted to know what is a woman. And you're not going to find out. 
So I went to a new setup really quick because this has been a pain in the ass to do the uh, keyboard with the mouse in it because I am higher than the table, but it's definitely more comfortable. So that show, uh, surprisingly, uh, wow, that was really good. Like, it was good. I really liked it. You should really watch it. Get behind the paywall. Um, man, I, I, uh, I thought it was going to be some hokey bullshit. But it was not hokey bullshit. They uh, they put a good piece of material out there. And it was uh, very telling. Because everybody they deal with... Would not answer that question. They just won't answer the question. What is a woman? They, they won't do it. And that pretty much tells you everything you need to know. Um, somehow, some way, in their religion, they have more power over people than the church did back in the day. And I don't mean that lightly. It's true. That's what they've done. They got people so scared to speak and have opinions that they they truly believe men do have babies. So uh, definitely worth it. Then I'm going to bring back This Is America. And for those who listen to the show and you did fast forward, some of you probably just dumped it. I hate to repeat, but this, this is one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. And I'm going to let Ben Shapiro break it down because that's where I found it. And um, this is really dangerous shit. Joe Biden goes on an incoherent anti-gun rant. The media fulminate over the supposed rise of Christian nationalism. And Jim Acosta of CNN says the NRA has blood on their hands. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. You may have noticed that the economy is really sort of on razor's edge right here. Fear of out-of-control inflation is hammering the stock market right now. The S&P 500 is currently having its worst start to the year since World War II. Your savings are worth less, and now you have less of those savings. So here's the thing. If you'd listened to me years ago and diversified at least a little bit into precious metals, you'd be sitting pretty right now. You should still think about doing just that. Now might be a good time for you to diversify into gold, the most stable asset in literally world history. Birch Gold is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. That's right. Not only will Birch Gold help you fortify your savings with precious metals, they'll help you do it in a tax-sheltered account. Text Ben to 989898 to get started today. Amazon stock is down 37% in the first half of the year. Tesla's down 40%. The cryptos are getting smacked around. Many are fearing that the hawkish moves by the Fed could stall the economy out and the stock market could take even bigger dump over the course of the next few years. So what exactly is your plan? Text Ben to 989898. Get your free no-obligation information kit on gold from Birch Gold. They are the precious metals professionals. I trust them enough to buy from them. Text Ben to 989898. Secure your savings today. I want to talk about the gun perspectives of the left in just one second and Joe Biden's peculiar comments on guns because the man knows less about guns than he knows about pretty much anything else. And yet, like all men who are too confident about their own abilities, he seems to believe that he knows a lot about the things he knows nothing about. He's like the confidence guy on the, on the, he's the 12th man on the basketball team who just 
for unjustified confidence. He just is going to go in there. He's going to chuck up threes. And it doesn't matter that he hasn't made a three in about two years. He's just going to go in there chucking because he thinks he knows things. We'll get to that in a second. But I think in order to understand Joe Biden and the left on guns and what they think they are doing, I think that really you have to understand that we have now reached a point in American life where a large segment of the country believes that people who disagree with them are the actual enemy and a severe threat to their neighbors. It's really a problem. It's, it's really troubling. And it is clearer than ever that this is, in fact, the perspective, certainly of the mainstream media and, of course, many of their devotees, as well as their allies in government and politics. The reason that I say this is because there's an article that had wide traffic over the weekend, and it was from the Associated Press, and it was titled Christian Nationalism on the Rise in Some GOP Campaigns. And this has been sort of the new watchword. You've seen a lot of these watchwords that have been spouted by the left to conflate it with mainstream conservative white supremacy is supposedly mainstream conservatism. Christian nationalism is supposedly mainstream conservatism. And what is happening here is an enormous number of people in the media are being deliberately sloppy about their terminology. And they're being deliberately sloppy about that terminology because the idea is if I can paint my political opponents with the ugliest possible brush, if I can use large scale terms that don't really apply to them, and I can apply them to them, then I can make them seem as though they are derelict, as though they are bad people, as though they are just somehow morally negligible in, in some way. And that is the pattern here. And once you realize that a lot of Americans see their fellow Americans, their neighbors as threats to them, like real true threats to who they are, then you understand that all policy making is directed at changing the system to protect them from you. That's what this is all about. And I think in order to even understand that, you have to understand that there is a significant difference in how Americans today even think of themselves in terms of their core identities. So there's a great book that I've referred to often by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I think it's the best book of the last 10 years. And in it, he basically argues that there is an old-fashioned view of what makes you you, of how you construct your identity. The way that people typically used to construct their identity is you were born. You're born into a system of embedded customs and laws. You're born into a community. It preexisted you. It'll go on after you. And you were born as a biological being with certain limitations and certain potentials in this community. And then it was the job of your parents and society to civilize you. And this is the way that I would say traditionally religious people raise their kids. The way that you raise your kids is to abide by certain rules and to occupy and inherit certain roles. And this is going to make you, not for everybody, but for the vast majority of people, a happier and better and more well-rounded and fulfilled human being. You're civilized because when you have kids, kids are, they're little barbarians. I mean, I've talked about this many times on the show. I have three kids, eight, six, two, and they're wonderful and they're innocent. And they're also barbarians because kids are by nature barbarians and they have to be civilized and they have to be taught things. That is one perspective on how you create an identity. Your identity is not just how you feel on the inside. And it's not just you as widget of society. It's the in-between, right? It is how you as an individual interact with society. And that interaction is what creates you as a human being. And so we have all sorts of civilizing institutions that are meant to help mold you to the society and help society help you fit in. And we have all sorts of rules and roles and responsibilities that are put upon you and that make you feel fulfilled when you actually do those things. Okay, that is the traditional way that people have identified throughout history. And then over the course of the last 50 years in particular, beginning a couple of hundred years ago, there's a new idea of what identity means. And this identity is constructed entirely by you. It is based on your subjective feeling about yourself. There's a free-floating you, and it is, it is your inner feeling, your sense of yourself. And that sense of yourself is the only thing that matters. It's your, authentic, your authenticity, your authentic sense of you. And your authentic sense of you cannot be bound by rules and roles and institutions. In fact, any sort of foreign imposition on the true you 
is really a denial of what you are. And therefore, the more institutions we overthrow, the more rules and roles we blow up, the better, particularly traditional rules and roles, right? New rules and roles that we kind of construct whole cloth. That's a different thing because you're part of that construction. But if you inherited rules and roles, we have to assume that those are shaping you in nefarious and evil ways. And so the best way for you to be truly free, for you to be truly authentic, is to get rid of those rules and roles. And so we have now an entire society or a large segment of American society that is directly oriented against the traditional institutions, rules and roles that characterize healthy living and healthy maturation in a, in a growing and healthy society. We have an entire group of people in the United States who truly believe that you are a threat to them and all of your traditional institutions are a threat to how they feel on the inside. And therefore, they're going to tar you with slurs like you're a white supremacist or you are a Christian nationalist if you just don't believe the things that they believe. Because you are morally bad. You are a threat to them. And this is why you hear people on the left constantly talking about microaggressions and you're a threat to me and your words are threatening me. How can my words threaten you? Well, only if your subjective sense of self is you, right? Because then if I refuse to accept your subjective sense of self as an objectively verifiable metric in the real world, this means that I'm attacking you in some way. What this means is that a huge segment of society particularly is oriented against traditional religion and against traditional religious values. And so what the, what the left has basically decided to do is characterize what used to be known as just mainstream politics in the United States, namely a, a broadly Christian people because this America is traditionally a very religious country by European standards, much more religious than the Europeans. We, it used to be that America was a place that had very few enforceable legal rules, but lots of enforceable social, social mores. That, that you had a community and you were embedded in that community and your church basically is what civilized you to live inside society. Your community did this and you didn't need that many laws, particularly at the national level in order to enforce that because there was a lot of broad-based commonality. And then when you had people come along and said, you know what, all of those, all of those institutions, the family, the church, the community, all these are, in, they are impositions on who you are. They have to be blown up. They have, in order for us to be truly free, we have to blow these things up and we can reconstruct ourselves ground up, free floating. This means that what used to be sort of traditionally accepted is now considered Christian nationalism. This is what strikes me about this associated press piece. I know we're going a little deep here, but it's really important. Because to understand what's happening above the waterline in American politics, you have to understand what's happening at the bottom of the iceberg. And so according to the Associated Press, here's how this manifests. The Associated Press, which is a left-wing press outlet, here's what they write. The Victory Party took on the feel of an evangelical worship service after Doug Mastriano won Pennsylvania's Republican gubernatorial primary this month. As a Christian singer led the crowd in song, some raised their arms toward the heavens in praise. Mastriano opened his remarks by evoking scripture. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. He claimed Pennsylvanians' freedom would be snatched away if his Democratic opponent wins in November and cast the election in starkly religious terms with another, with another biblical reference, let's choose this day to serve the Lord. Now, as a religious person who is not a Christian, right? I'm an Orthodox Jew. The idea that you would, at a campaign stop, say something like, I feel like it's my job to serve God. That is what every religious person I've ever met says about pretty much every day. That is your core identity. Your core identity as a religious person is a person who believes that they have a relationship with God that is bounded by certain rules and moralities and ethics. So saying that at a campaign stop does not make you a quote-unquote Christian nationalist. Typically, when people say Christian nationalist, what they mean is no one who is not a Christian should be allowed to worship here, and everyone who is not a Christian should be a second-class citizen. That would be like a, a pretty good definition of a Christian nationalist. But that's not what is happening in these campaigns. Instead, the idea from the left is, if you believe in traditional Judeo-Christian values, and if you believe that some of those values should inform 
our legislative process because you have to pick some system of ethics to inform our legislative process. And you can pretend that you've created out of whole cloth a secularist system of ethics. That is not true. You're living off the fumes of Judeo-Christian ethics from 300 years ago. Anybody who pretends otherwise is lying to themselves. But the idea is that if you even mention your religion in the context of public life, this makes you a threat. Now, that is a wild difference from where America used to be 50, 60, 70 years ago. Mentioning the importance of religion in everyday life and the idea of a, of a sort of Christian unified ideal undergirding American morality, that was a commonality from left to right. FDR used to cite this sort of stuff in his speeches. I mean, you want to talk, like, if you took an FDR speech, it completely politically opposed everything that I believe on economics, and you listen to him talk about religion, he sounds a lot like this rally by Doug Mastriano. But according to the Associated Press, if you say this sort of thing now, this makes you a Christian nationalist and therefore evil. Mastriano, a state senator and retired army colonel, has not only made faith central to his personal story, but has woven conservative Christian beliefs and symbols into his campaign, becoming the most prominent example this election cycle of what some observers call a surge of Christian nationalism among Republican candidates. And this is the way that the media launder their own views into these pieces. They have a theory. Their theory is that everyone who opposes them politically is actually a secret theocrat and now we're going to go find a couple of experts to back up what we say. So did they take a poll of the experts? No. Did they take a poll of the American people? No. What they did is they found a couple of people to back up what the authors of this piece want. Mastriano, who has ignored repeated requests for comment from the Associated Press, has rejected the Christian nationalist label in the past. In fact, few if any prominent candidates use the label. Some say it's a pejorative and insist everyone has a right to draw on their faith and values to try to influence public policy. Well, yeah, that's because it is a pejorative and everyone does have the right to draw on their faith and values to try to influence public policy. But scholars generally define Christian nationalism as going beyond policy debates and championing a fusion of American and Christian values, symbols, and identity. So the Associated Press is completely insane. You know what else is insane? Walking around without the home and auto insurance that you actually need. Because if you don't have that home and auto insurance, well, you're sort of begging fate to crush you. Right now would be a great time to reshop your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius because that could lead to savings that can you can put toward your next home renovation or DIY project. Plus, you actually need to protect your life insurance as well. So you can do all your insurance over at Policy Genius. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Just head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro Home to get started. Policy Genius will show you price estimates for policies that fit your search. If you like what they find, they will get you switched over for free. Customers who bundled their home and auto policies with Policy Genius saved an average of 1,250 bucks per year over what they were paying. The team at Policy Genius, they're on hand at every step to help you make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Policy Genius does not add on extra fees. They're not going to sell your information to third parties. They've earned thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. So don't be crazy. Go find the lowest rate for your home and auto insurance today over at Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro Home. Get your free home insurance quotes. See how much you could save. And now listen to how the AP describes Christian nationalism. And what you'll see is they are taking basic ideas about America and they are just saying it's Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism, they say, is often accompanied by a belief that God has destined America, like the biblical Israel, for a special role in history and that it will receive divine blessing or judgment depending on its obedience. That's just called basic biblical belief, period. That doesn't mean that non-Christians can't live here Right, that would make me rather unhappy that being a non-Christian and all. They, they, like, I'm not Christian and I believe that. Like, I, I'm, I'm bemused by the Associated Press's description here. And so if you believe that God has a specific destiny for America, for a special role in history, this means now that you are a Christian nationalist? 
I mean, wasn't that the basic, take God out of the equation. Isn't that the basic idea of American exceptionalism, that America is an exceptional country with an exceptional destiny? Doesn't Joe Biden say that for God's sake? He just removes the God from the sentence and sometimes he even puts the God in the sentence. That will receive divine blessing or judgment depending on its obedience. Again, a basic tenet of every faith, which is that there is a relationship between what you do in life and the reward or punishment you receive either now or hereafter. Okay, and then here, and the AP continues. That often overlaps with the conservative Christian political agenda, including opposition to abortion, same-sex marriage, and transgender rights. So now they are saying that if you are a person who opposes abortion or same-sex marriage or transgender rights, this means not that you have some sort of logical or values basis for it. It's because you're a Christian nationalist. They're just creating a slur out of whole cloth and then applying it to people. In other words, if you're in favor of traditional institutions, because that's what you're talking about here, pro-life beliefs, which are generally backed by community, Traditional marriage, generally performed by church, right? This was a church service. Transgender, the, the, the basic notion that men and women exist, which is not even religious in nature. And there are plenty of irreligious people and anti-religious people who believe that men and women exist. Sorry to break it to the Associated Press. But the idea is if you believe any of these and that America has a special destiny, you're a Christian nationalist now. Quote, researchers say Christian nationalism is often associated with mistrust of immigrants and Muslims. Okay, so what? Like what? First of all, there are a lot of churches in this country that are extraordinarily pro-immigrant. A lot of synagogues, too. Second, the, the, the idea that there is mistrust of immigrants and Muslims among Christians, there's a lot of mistrust of Christians among Muslims. I mean, I'm, I'm just confused as to why this is solely applicable to Christian nationalists. This is too broad. Many Christian nationalists see former President Donald Trump as a champion. So if you vote for Trump, look, I mean, look what they're doing here. Here are the things that describe Christian nationalists. Believe America is special. Oppose same-sex marriage, abortion, and, and transgender nonsense. Are critical of immigration, are critical of radical Islam, and voted for Trump. You're now describing at least half of America and maybe more. But what they're saying is that all of that is Christian nationalism. Now, they go on in the article, like buried all the way down in the article, is the reality, which is that they, they actually found, there's a piece of research done by a couple of special professors, very, very special people, finding about one in five Americans align with quote-unquote Christian nationalist views. Okay, and uh, believing, for example, that the United States should advance biblical values and allow school prayer and religious displays in public places. Again, the fact that that is now considered a Christian nationalist view, that we should allow school prayer and religious displays in public places, not a Christian, I believe all those things. Right, like that's, that is not a Christian. That was the view of the entire United States up till about 1960. But in order to, the reason that this is so the reason this is so important is because of the conclusion here. Robert Jones, CEO of the Public Religion Research Institute, said January 6th displays were not surprising. According to a recent survey by the Institute, white evangelical Christians were among the strongest supporters of the assertion that God intended America as a promised land for European Christians. Those who backed that idea were far more likely to agree that true American patriots may have to resort to violence to save our country. To my mind, white Christian nationalism is really the threat, said Jones. Hey, you are the threat. You're the threat. Right? And if you and if you don't believe in the values of the left, then you are a bigot and a Christian nationalist. And you are. And, and that's why Joe Biden, many people on the left, they look across the country and what they see when it comes to things like the gun debate to take this to policy or the abortion debate to take it to policy or the same sex marriage debate is the imposition of rules, restrictions and traditional institutions on your sense of leftist identity, of subjective self-identity. And so you must be stopped. When they see you walk it, when they see you, you, you take it to gun control, because this is now the, the topic of the day. 
when you, normal person, see your neighbor with a gun, you know your neighbor, you know your neighbor's not a criminal, your first reaction, is it, man, that's scary, or is it, okay, all right, you don't see your neighbor as a threat. It doesn't matter if your neighbor voted Democrat. As long as your neighbor's not a criminal, you don't care. In fact, you probably feel safer because if your neighbor has a gun, it probably means that his house is less likely to be robbed. And if somebody robs your house, you might be more likely to help stop it. But if you're on the left and you see a bunch of rural Texas people with guns, the first thing you think is not, hey, are those law-abiding citizens? The first thing you think is, those people are a threat to me and now those people have guns. And so the best possible solution is we should disarm everybody. Right? Disarm everybody who could potentially be a threat to me. Because the true threat is all the people who disagree with me and threaten my, sec my, my sense of self-identity, which in today's day and age largely means sexual self-identity. Okay, that, that is dangerous stuff for a country. No country can really survive that long term. If a huge percentage of the population think that the people on the other side are their enemies to the extent that it doesn't matter whether they are law-abiding, they're still a threat to you, then I don't know how you share a country. I really don't. It, may, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to share a country with people who believe that you are such an enemy that no matter how many laws you abide by, you are inherently a threat if you own a firearm and maybe even if you don't own a firearm. And this underscores... The he is spot on. That article, I went and actually read the thing because a lot of times when you get it, you don't like to go back and research and find out, okay, is this true? Oh, it's true. That's what they printed. They coalesced anything they could find to wrap it around and say, these people are Christian nationalists. I mean, they've tried Nazi under Trump. They tried insurrectionists, sedition. Now they're going white nationalists. That's, that's their thing. You're a white nationalist if you believe in God. You have that religion and you've not picked up the LGBT, EIEIO cultural bullshit that they do. And they're going to say everybody who doesn't think like you is a white nationalist extremist and we must save democracy. They've been trying this since 2020, my friends. It, it hasn't stopped. They don't have boogeyman Trump. They can't boogeyman Trump people into voting. It worked very well. Oh, look at that guy and then Twitter. And I mean, he hated it because he did crazy shit and he tweeted crap and he acted like a jackass. And he was very, very argumentative. Did he deserve to be? Yes. Did I like it? Sure did. But I like the DeSantis version better because DeSantis doesn't go off the fucking ledge. He plays, but he stays smart, and he does legislation. I mean, he's just as aggressive. He doesn't play the media's bullshit, but he is in there tweeting at 2 in the morning crazy fucking shit, and they can't link that to the fucking codes for nukes. So now it's going to be Christian nationalists. Anybody who isn't a liberal is a Christian nationalist and you must be taken out. You can't be, you can't be trusted. I mean, you saw the one article, uh, they are voting for election deniers. They say that straight faced, even though every Democrat was an election denier since 2016, most of them didn't even go to the inauguration. And that was brave. That was dem democracy in action.
folks, you can't have it both ways. And the American people see it, but the media and the left think they can. They think when they do it, it's righteous, saving democracy. When you do it, you're an insurrectionist. While they're saying, Constitution, Constitution, we need to destroy the Electoral College. We need to store, restore uh, more seats on the fucking SCOTUS. We need to get rid of the filibuster. You're pushing all this shit while you're saying they're trying to rip up the Constitution. They don't follow the Constitution. And they get away with it in the media. My thing is, if we're going to continue down this road where the left is going to label anybody who's not them a threat, as Ben Shapiro says, we don't have a country. That is more vitriolic than the Civil War. It was an idea over slavery. They succeeded. But even afterwards, they didn't say those people are our enemies. We don't even have a big cause that we're fighting over. You have a constructed religion you made up in college. And you expect everybody to follow it. And now you're saying everybody who doesn't follow it is evil. Really. My adult life, not one Republican, one election, and the left didn't challenge it. Or the media didn't. So the right does it once, and now it's the end of democracy. I mean, do you see your hypocrisy? I just rhymed. Didn't mean to. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Go to podcast.com you see this video and then every other video and audio there make sure you disconnect from all your devices don't give the yeah yeahs we're gonna go with uh sunday sunday 12 june will be our next podcast until then thank you all for listening i apologize about the last show but we got locked in now we're locked in we're good won't get unplugged again yeah but thanks for listening folks and you Take care.